Hello, my dear human becoming. Um, I sound a bit sick today. I have sinusitis and it's definitely a somatic uh, symptom of my current grief processing, but I wanted to come here today and use this episode as an opportunity to sit at the altar and speak about what I'm currently going through. So, In the past month, I've had or experienced the dissolution of a friendship that I thought would last a lifetime and a partnership that I hoped would last a lifetime. And, uh, and I'm still finding, I'm still finding my feet. I will be for a while, but it's taken me into a really deep grief, a grief that I haven't experienced in a long time. And I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to share that with you. I think I really want to be witnessed in that. One of the things that I've been learning um, through this grief work that I'm doing is we really need to be in community to process our grief. There's a way that grief is made so much more painful by the isolation that we experience in society. One kind of like random example of this that I'm thinking about is I think the suicide rate for divorced men is something like eight times higher. I heard that in a podcast yesterday. Don't So don't quote me on that one. But I also do believe, I know the suicide rate for men um, globally is higher and you know for people socialized as men or you know however binarily they want to create these statistics but I hope you all know what I mean um and I think that's because it's so like in this society we're really failing people who are being socialized as men and we're failing them um in terms of like how they can access their emotion and how they can seek community. I think there's so much loneliness in this experience um, because it's not as normalized as like if you were socialized as a woman, um, there's more normalization of like reaching out, having your friends, having your people, having community, you know, staying in connection with people, having your best friend, having the people that are gonna, you know, hold you as you sob after a breakup and I'm just feeling that like I've noticed in going through this breakup and processing these breakups, um, these transitions, you know, in, in one, in the partnership that I'm moving out of, my hope is that it transitions into another kind of relating because we found that the container of partnership, um, was just a bit too triggering for me. And a lot of my, childhood stuff was coming up in a way that was really intense to experience. And part of my decision to leave the partnership to, um, to say like, let's, let's think about other ways of relating that aren't partnership is, (sighs) I do believe, and I'm still struggling with this belief, but I do believe that there are places in the world where I like, I don't have to be so consistently triggered around, um, around my childhood stuff, around my stuff with my dad. I know being triggered is a part of life and I often really enjoy being triggered, right? Because it, um, it shows me parts of myself, but there's like, 
a level, there's a scale, I think, with triggers. Like I call it the Richter scale, you know. And is this like a 10 on the Richter scale or is this like a three? And I believe that there are partnerships where, you know, I'm much more likely to be in the one to five range. And in this partnership, and that's not my partner's fault, it's not my fault, it's just what the reality of the situation was, I was often finding myself at like a 7 to 10, um, and especially at the time of deciding that we would um, dissolve the partnership, I definitely think I was feeling uh, a 10. And I feel some shame about that. That's also why I wanted to come on to the podcast, just to just to share my shame and have it be witnessed. You know, I feel shame for where I acted from activation. Um, I feel shame for, I didn't bring tissues to this. That was a, that was a bad move. Um, I feel shame. So there's going to be a lot of sniffling. I feel shame for, ah, where I wasn't able to be more resourced. You know, I feel shame for where my anxious attachment, uh, strategy really wants me to do things like urgently. And I don't have as much tolerance and capacity for like waiting and saying like, let's take a breather and let's think things through. And like, maybe let's like take a day and not speak and come back. Like my attachment strategy just doesn't, um, in moments of high activation really doesn't allow for that. And there's a lot of shame for me there. Like I should have been able to handle that with more love, with more grace, with more kindness. I should have been able to, my partner, um, former partner, dear love is more avoidantly attached. So there's like the shame of like, I should have been able to give more space because that's what he needs to process. And like, and just every day I think I'm trying to name my shame and just witness it and say like, okay, even though sometimes I act from a really triggered place or even though sometimes every time I'm doing my best and that can still be hurtful for people, um, I, I love and forgive myself. You know, I, I love and honor myself. I accept myself. And mm, it's hard to do that, you know, it's hard. I, I'm feeling a lot of judgment of myself. Um, yeah. <sighs> a lot of judgment, a lot of like, I should have done better. I should have, I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. And I think also part of this is just, I was sitting with my coach yesterday um, or on Monday and she was kind of helping me to like somatically zoom out to like, oh, where have I felt this before? Like, where have I felt the sense of questioning before? Of Did I make the wrong decision? Did I make the right decision? Like, what if I've ruined my whole life in making this decision? Um, and then being like, oh, wait, I felt this before and I've been okay. Like, I felt this before. I know this feeling. It's familiar and it's allowed to be here. So I've been doing a lot of that, like, I do. When I experience the dissolution specifically of partnership, um, I feel a lot of like, oh, did I make the wrong decision? What if this is the love of my life and I've let them go? What if they move on without me and they find this like wonderful, perfect person and I'm left alone? Um, so really there's a lot of fear of being alone. Um, and here I almost ask myself, like, if you knew that that was impossible, um, what would that change about how you're processing this grief? And I think that allows me to get to the cleaner form of grief, which is just 
it's really hard when we want something and that something isn't meant to be, has run its course, you know, like, I think I'm feeling a lot of, a lot of my grief is actually just at, like, the human condition, and, and that, like, being part of this human story is challenging, (sighs) and surrendering to God's will for us consistently is challenging, and, you know, even though I, I trust, I really do trust and have faith in God and I trust and have faith in, in the larger vision, in the larger dream. And I trust and have faith that everything that's happening is happening in the way that it needs to happen, right? Like I'm trusting that this is part of God's will too. Um, and yet there's the part of me that's like really scared and like, what if it's not? And and the part of me that finds it really hard to accept that like why is it god's will that this partnership ends that this friendship ends why is it god's will that uh that i feel this depth of grief why is it god's will that you know that grief is just a part of the human condition and and loss is a part of the human condition and when we invoke change and being the witch and the magician I am, I'm constantly invoking change, invoking change, surrendering to change, because all there is is change, right? Surrendering to changes, surrendering to God. But I also feel a deep, like, frustration in that and sadness in that. I feel a deep sadness that everything is always changing. And... And like that is this universe that we are a part of. Everything is always changing. Everything is always changing. Everything is always changing. And it's really hard sometimes to be present with that. And it's hard to be present with the grief of that. And it's hard to be present with the loss of that. And it's hard to be present with my body. You know, my body is, is, I had like, I've definitely been having a lot of somatic, um, processing happening and like this intense case of sinusitis that I've never had. And the sinuses are really connected to grief. Um, and also kind of like irritants in the system. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of release through the sinusitis, which I'm grateful for, but it's also been like really hard on my body. I've been feeling so foggy. My head just feels like I'm underwater. Um, That's also interesting as a sight to like look into my head feeling like it's underwater, but I feel that Um, my right ankle just started hurting Um, and the ankle is so connected to support um and the right side of the body like if we're thinking feminine masculine polarities if you've been with me for a while you know i have a complicated relationship with the feminine and the masculine because i think sometimes it's so tied into gender um but thinking of this more as like ah as as the masculine is is um is young is a sense of is is um, is point energy in the world. So like if a particle is, is, or if, um, atoms are both waves and particles in quantum physics, this is true. An atom is both a wave and a particle. How is that 
possible because a particle is a solid point in time and a wave is flow. That's how I think of the feminine and the masculine. Like there is an energy in the universe that is solid, that is fixed, and there's an energy in the universe that is flow. And I think I'm experiencing some disruption with that energy that is fixed. Um, and that's why it's, it's, this is, you know, manifesting on the right side of my body because it's like, Ah, the the sense of I've suddenly lost my my masculine support being not the support of men, but my masculine support being like the sense of stability. I really feel like the sense of stability that I had cultivated through this relationship that I was in, um, this partnership that I was in, just suddenly you know dissolved, and it was really really painful to experience that, and I'm still experiencing that, and I think. One of the things I've been holding with me is that many successful relationships end. And part of what makes processing breakups in our society hard is like there are so many narratives, um, so many narratives of like you break up with people because they're bad or you break up with people because they've done something wrong or you break up with people because you're like, I don't love you anymore or you break up with people because they don't love you anymore. And I think life is so much more complicated and like with this person, with both of these people, but I'll speak specifically about my partnership here. I love this person so deeply. I love them so, so, so deeply. And I know they love me really deeply. And so it's easy to go into my narrative of like, they don't love me anymore. You know, like if they loved me, then da, 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 you know, um, or to go into my narrative, well, I just don't care about them anymore. And it's like, none of that is true. I love and care about this person so deeply. And they love and care about me so deeply. And I think what this partnership really led me to was a really deep understanding of what love is and that love is an attachment um, and love isn't a cage. I was thinking of this analogy of like, part of what it was feeling like for us to be together, especially towards the end in partnership, was like two birds in a small cage where we don't have as much room to spread our wings. And is love to say, let's stay in the cage together? Or is love to say, like, let's open the cage? And maybe that means we don't see each other again. And maybe that means that our paths do cross and we continue to fly. But there's a freedom in that flight, right? Like there's a freedom of movement. Um, and for me, that feels so much more loving than we're going to stay in the cage together, but we're together. You know, I think that's attachment. I don't think that's love. And so the end, the dissolution of this partnership really brought me into that, that understanding of attachment and love and how, even though it feels really painful and it, and anyway, I think the energy of breakups, I benefit from having a really clean break from having like a really clean, solid, like, we're not going to speak, we're making it for the next moon cycle. For So from this new moon to the next new moon, we're not going to be in communication, giving us a full cycle um, to process our grief, to go through, um, 
yeah, what we need to go through as individuals. And it's hard to do that. Like it's so much easier after a breakup um, for me to stay in that like weird in between talking phase where like there's still a lot of love and sometimes late at night it feels like we're still in partnership, but then there's a lot of hurt and betrayal. And, and once again, for me, it's like, is that loving? Um, but it's hard to say I need space. It's hard. I feel so guilty. I feel so guilty for saying, and I feel so ashamed for saying, like, I need space. I need a cycle to process and to be with myself so that when I come back into connection with you and into relationship with you, whatever that looks like, um, however we name that, however we define that, I'm able to do it from a place of, of really being inside of my own sovereignty um, and being in intimacy with myself and being in connection with myself and, and freeing both of us from the attachment that we've experienced. And so, you know, but there's also a lot of fear in there. That's some of what I think I want to be witnessed is like, I think in the neat breakup narrative that like you break up and then you're just like done and then you move on and find someone better, you know, and it's like none of that feels true for me. Um, and it doesn't feel like we're breaking up because someone's done something bad or someone's wrong, but because, you know, there's a, there's a way that, that we were being caged by partnership. Um, and there's a way that it wasn't allowing us room to spread our wings. And I think both of us understood that that is the most loving thing. And we're both people who are so connected to our sense of purpose and to why we're here. And I think both of us have this internal sense that that, that purpose, us surrendering to God's will, and to love's will is so much more important than clinging on to the attachments of our ego, you know. But it's hard to do that work. It's fucking hard. And and releasing that attachment, you know, fills me with so much dread and fear, which also in the neat breakup narrative, like we're not supposed to name, you know. I'm scared that, you know, he'll never want to relate with me again, that he'll never want to be in connection, that, you know, um, because I've asked for space and that's like a big fear. I think that's my anxious attachment coming up is like, if I give people space, then they're going to just take all the space and be like, I never want to be in connection with you anymore. And then in partnership, that leads to me being like, like really, um, clingy. I don't use that word with shame, but more just like, that's the only word that's coming up for me, like really wanting to cling to this person. And it's scary to give space. It's It fills me with so much fear, you know, that like, and all these narratives, you know, that like, he's going to move on and find someone so much better. And I'm going to look at that person and, you know, and be like, they're the better version of me. Um, a lot of that fear is coming up. Um, and they're, yeah, they're going to look at, they're going to be like the better, you're the, you're the, you're the, I'm going to say you're the better version of me. And there's going to be another cute spiritual light skin who's actually cuter than me <laughs> and prettier than me and smarter than me and more spiritual than me and more connected to God than me and more loved than me and more securely attached than me. And like, you know, um, really, I'm doing a lot of projection, clearly, that he's going to find this person that I'm going to project is like all the things that I'm not, is like all the things that I feel are lacking from myself. Um, 
And that's really interesting, right? Like I'm projecting that all the things that I tell myself I should be more of, all of the things that I feel shame around, I'm projecting onto this imagined person and saying like, oh, I'm going to feel so shitty in comparison to them, to this imaginary person. Um, and I think then that leads me to like, whoa, so what are those things? Well, I don't think I'm pretty enough. I don't think I'm beautiful enough. I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I'm spiritual enough. I don't think I'm securely attached enough. I don't think I'm healed enough. I don't think I'm enough. I don't think I'm enough. I don't think I'm enough. And so coming to that sobering truth, you know, because it's it's easy to get lost in it and it's okay to get lost in it sometimes and to feel the fear of those emotions, but then to also realize that they too are deep teachers. I keep returning to this thing, you know, that one of my mentors has offered me, a mentor and a lover. This moment is as God as God gets. This moment is as God as God gets. And it's easy um it can be easier, you know, when we're having experiences of bliss and ecstasy to be like, wow, God. And when we're in grief and pain and rage and heartbreak and confusion and sadness. And another thing this mentor has offered me that I'm returning to is like, confusion is okay. Just don't let confusion confuse you. <laughs> um, but when we're experiencing all these things, it's harder to see God's hand. It's harder to see like, this too is God. This grief is God. This, this heartbreak is God. This pain is God. This, this loss of attachment is God. And God is speaking to me here too. And God is loving me here too. And God is showing me more of myself here too. And God is guiding me into healing here too. Like God has not abandoned me. God is ever present. And actually being able to take that in, um, and to go like, oh wow. So then this is this 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 ending of this partnership is showing me all these places where I still feel that I'm not worthy of being loved, where I still feel that I'm not deserving of being loved just as I am. And that's my edge, is I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep being attracted to places and to people and to experiences where I can have this message affirmed because God is trying to show me this thing and 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 is like saying bring this into your awareness bring this into your awareness and I'm going to keep bringing this into your awareness and often it's going to be through painful circumstance it's going to be through suffering because suffering is a great teacher oh I'm going to need to blow my nose soon and so really just feeling that like wow breakups carry such potent medicine, the end of partnership, the end of relationship, the end of friendship creates all this room. And for me, that's been so scary because it's like, what do I do with all this room? It fills me with like this, this fear that is also part of my hero's journey, which is this fear of being alone. I'm so afraid of being alone. It's like I would do so much to just prevent myself from feeling alone ever. And in all this space, I realize that it's me and God. And I also realize how sometimes I project the needs that I need God to meet onto humans, onto mere mortals. <laughs> and I say, you know, this, this 
depth of separation that my soul feels, this longing for you, God, this longing for connection with you, this longing for intimacy with you, this longing for embrace with you, this longing to be dissolved into you, this longing to become you, this longing to be held by you, this longing to see myself and you and you and myself, that intimacy then I project onto humans. <laughs> and I'm like, why can't you fill all these needs? And I did that in this partnership a lot. And there's shame there too, you know. Um, I think I'm also realizing a lot of my early developmental trauma kind of brings me into a place of really seeking because I have this wound around dependency um, where, where some of my needs around around being attuned to weren't met in the way that I needed them to be met. I feel this, this <gasps> panic sometimes when I feel my needs not being met. And I feel sometimes in partnership that I'm really looking for a parent, like I'm looking for the father that I didn't get. And I'm looking for the attunement that I didn't get from him. And I'm looking for the care that I didn't get from him and the love that I didn't get from him and the embrace that I didn't get from him. And I'm looking for the, the tenderness that I didn't get from him and the holding I didn't get from him and the seeing and the witnessing that I didn't get from him. And then I'm taking all those big needs and I'm saying, you know, just, just to another human who's also suffering, like, please, <sighs> could you hold all of this? And it's a lot for anyone to hold and no one human can hold it. And, you know, experiencing this heartbreak has then brought me back to the altar and back to like, what is the only, what is the only thing? Who is the only being who can hold all of this? God. No human, not even my father, not even my parents could hold all of those big, beautiful wants and desires and needs. You know, it is, it's really this like movement from like, oh, it's, it's, I have this yearning for being parented, but it's, it's not my birth parents, even though I'm projecting it onto my birth parents, but it's these like cosmic parents that I have. <sighs> that appear in many forms and many places and are everything. Like, that's the parentage that I'm yearning. And I'm seeking this lover who can meet me and hold me and see me and all that I am and attune to me perfectly. And, oh, and I'm searching for that lover in the world. And I'm saying, is that you? Is that you? Is that you? And, and it's not any of these mere mortals. It's God. <laughs> you know, it's God as lover. It's God as mother. It's God as father. It's God as all of these things that I'm yearning for. And, and it's humbling. It's humbling to recognize how I've been searching for those and people and, and to know that I still will, you know, that like, that's, that's still something I'm healing. I'll be healing it for my whole life. It is my hero's journey and finding forgiveness in myself for that and finding some like forgiveness. Yeah. And some like, it's okay. I accept you. I accept you because the shame is so intense there. Um, and the shame for how how often the people I'm in connection with can feel this sense of not enoughness because how could they ever fulfill all those deep cosmic needs and and shame for how I trigger that in people um, and and just being like wow even though I feel shame for that I'm I'm choosing to love and accept myself I'm choosing to embrace myself still. 
Um, I have pins and needles, so I'm just going to quickly... Oh, shift. Ow, ow, ow. Ow, 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 ow. Okay. There we go. Um, yeah, so it's definitely been a time of big realization and big seeing and and knowing things inside of myself that are uncomfortable to know. Um, like it's so much easier to project onto my partner that they just didn't do a good enough job at meeting my needs. And it's so much more humbling to recognize really what's happening inside of me. Um, and also to recognize that like, yes, I do want some humans to be part of my process of needs meeting, but I need a whole village. I need a whole community, you know, modernity has has taken um and like the disruptions in our 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 ways of life as humans who have lived in community for centuries um for millennia you know we've taken all of these needs that once a community of people would meet and distilled them into like and now this one partnership will meet all those needs and even though i'm poly you know even though i'm not monogamous i think i was still relating to this partner in a way that my mentor, um, Celeste Hirschman, has described as primary possessive partnerships. So even in polyamory, the sense that like, okay, but there's like this primary partner. And I'm realizing that as soon as I, as I relate to someone in that way, as soon as I, I see them in that way as like a primary partner, um, it becomes really hard to see their humanity, to see that they're not capable of meeting all my needs. It becomes really hard not to project all my stuff onto them. And it becomes really hard not to go into my, like, you're not doing a good enough job place. <sighs> and I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, this is a place where I'm humbled and I'm asking for God's support. Like, I don't know how to move out of this cycle. I don't know how to just start seeing humans as humans. I don't know how to not relate to them as primary partners. I don't know how to how to release some of the intensity of attachment and expectation that I form when I am connected to another human. But I want to learn. I'm asking to learn. I'm asking to learn. And I find that when I do this, when I make someone my primary partner in my mind, um, I end up I lose some of my sovereignty. It's like I see myself as a unit with them over my own individual person. So like it shocks me when they say like, yeah, I was going to see you and some other friends in the city. I'm like, why would you not put me above everyone else? <laughs> what do you mean? Um, it becomes really hard for me to see that like they have a life outside of me and it becomes harder for me to honor that I have a life outside of them that still needs tending to. Like it becomes really easy for me to, it almost becomes this like orbit. It's the sensation of like, this person becomes my son and suddenly, whereas I was my own solar system before, I find myself morphing into this planet and f and just becoming part of their orbit, you know, um, instead of being like, I'm a solar system and you're a solar system. And like, can we be sovereign solar systems and also sometimes come into each other's orbits uh, and leave each other's orbits? So I'm fucking humbled <laughs> to have come upon that edge and... And part of what this heartbreak has also taught me is it's so easy to close our hearts to love when we've experienced heartbreak. It's so easy to shut down. It's so easy to 
say like, I'm not trying that again. And I'm really setting the intention to stay open hearted, to stay open to love, to stay open to communion, to stay open to having my needs met by people, to stay open to facing the disappointment that comes when people cannot be my cosmic parents and lovers and staying open to all the love that is there for me to experience and staying open to honoring that many successful relationships end and that this relationship taught me so much about myself and it allowed me to experience so much and it supported me through so much growth um, and so much transformation and it really was the safe little cocoon and I think I came to a place where it was like, oh, but I can't stay in this cocoon anymore. And I recognize how being in this partnership is letting me, I'm allowing myself here to stay in my cocoon, to stay in my cage. And the universe is calling me into something different. And so humbled by God, humbled, 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 big slice of humble pie, <laughs> recognizing how human I am, you know, recognizing how this healing work is, it's a lifetime's work. And I'm really proud of myself for how I'm allowing myself to stay present with my grief, to not dissociate from it, to not try to create neat little narratives around it, while also recognizing the part of me that's frantically trying to make sense of it all, that's trying to find answers, that's like trying to find the narratives that make sense and accepting this part of me too and saying like, I know you, I see you, I see how you're trying to protect me, you're allowed to be here. Really, this breakup has brought me into a place of like all parts of me are allowed to be here. All parts of me are allowed to be here. All parts of me are allowed to be here. All parts of me are allowed to be here. All parts of me are allowed to be here. All parts of me are allowed to be here. And really, really noticing like, oh, here's the here's the part of me that's trying to make sense of it all. Okay, I can love and accept you. Oh, here's the part of me that's feeling worried that this person's going to move on and never want to speak to me again because I've given them space and is going to feel like, you know, they they met the person that was just everything that I'm not and is the better version of me. And, oh, I feel that comparison. I feel that part of me that has this wound around feeling not good enough and wants to compare myself to other people. And I'm just loving and accepting that part of myself that feels so unworthy. And I'm loving and accepting the part of me that is like, when will this end? When will this end? This needs to end. Please let it be done. And I'm, you know, honoring that part too that's just really in pain and trying to move out of the pain as quickly as possible. And and I'm loving and accepting the part of me that is in sorrow and feels like we'll never meet love in the world again and that I'll never be able to be in a partnership that doesn't trigger the fuck out of me. Like really feeling the part of me that's in disbelief, that is in doubt, that is in fear, that there isn't partnership where I'm not so consistently triggered, right? The part of me that believes that I can only be in partnership and be triggered. The part of me that only knows how to be in partnership while being supremely, you know, level 10 triggered and saying, oh, I love and accept you. And also choosing to believe, like choosing to love and accept the part of me that believes that there is maybe partnership where I'm not so consistently triggered around, you know, my deepest childhood wounds in ways that are really hard to work through. Um, and, 
and the part of me that believes that there are partnerships where it will be easier to have my needs met and that there will be friendships where it will be easier to have my needs met and and I'm choosing to love and accept and resource in that part of me too um and the part of me that <sighs> feels excited about the future and feels curious and and the part of my soul that's like time here is so short don't we owe it to ourselves to believe in the possibility of a different kind of partnership don't we owe it to ourselves to to take the risk of leaving the comfort of the cage and the nest and to see what could be out there even though we don't know we don't know what it would look like we don't know what it would feel like we haven't experienced it but could we surrender to that vulnerability and could we trust god and could we maybe surrender some of the decision making around partnership and loving connection to God instead of to our egos? And could we see if maybe that would make a change? And can we be willing to the possibility? Can we be willing to experience the possibility, right? That like there is something else, there is something else without shaming, you know, what, what I have experienced and knowing that it's been exactly what I needed to experience. It's been so fucking deeply healing for me. And I believe that there are places where I won't be so consistently triggered. I believe that there are places where it will feel easier, where it will feel more pleasurable, where it will feel softer, where, you know, maybe the trigger is like an eye roll or like a, oh, it's so frustrating when they do that, but doesn't take me into feeling like my, you know, five-year-old self waiting for my dad, like doesn't take me into the depths of that pain. Um, because I don't want to keep traumatizing that kid. I really don't. <sighs> I don't want to keep traumatizing that kid. I don't want to keep putting them through the ringer. You know, I want to find places where they don't have to experience that anymore and where they can feel really held and safe and seen and witnessed and loved and cared for and slightly less triggered. So putting that up as a prayer to God and sending you all so much love in whatever you may be experiencing, in whatever grief you may be experiencing, in whatever heartbreak you might be experiencing, in whatever sorrow and doubt and confusion and self-abandonment you may be experiencing. I love you. I love you. I love you. I believe in you. I believe in the possibilities for different ways of relating and being in intimacy for all of us. And I know that's the work that we came here to do. So I'm holding you in so much love. I'm going to jump into a bath now. And I hope you take good care of yourself. I know I've been a bit, um, you know, human becoming as an entity has kind of been at the farthest edges of the cosmos um, and doing some deep journey work themselves. And I've been allowing that. Uh, and I've been, you know, really doing my own journey work here. And I'm not quite sure when we'll meet up again to continue doing this work here. Um, we're doing it in other ways through um, do the one-on-one -on -one coaching practice, through uh, the Money Magic Coven, which is starting this coming week where we'll be doing six months of deep um, journeying into our wounds around money and scarcity. And and there are other exciting things brewing. So I'm excited to go into this next stage of growth and evolution with you, for you, um, for me. <laughs> and I love you dearly. Mwah. Take care.